you please uh, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11, the Gospel of John chapter 11. A few years ago in our series uh, through this Gospel, Pastor Jeremy preached a sermon on this passage, a beautiful and powerful passage of Scripture. I want to remind us of several truths that we saw then uh, that are always fresh, even as we read this text. John chapter 11. And if you would uh, join me in prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, we come to you needy, grieving, knowing that our hope is found nowhere else but in you. Would you comfort us by showing us your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. In his name we pray. Amen. One of the hardest and most mysterious aspects of the Christian life is when we face the dark side of providence, of God's providence, the dark side of grace. We all know that God is good, we believe that he is good. We know and we have experienced the love of Christ. We believe that Jesus loves us. And yet, all of a sudden, we are often faced with situations that leave us overwhelmed with sorrow and pain. And probably the greatest of those is when the Lord takes from us someone whom we love. And especially so when it happens suddenly, unexpectedly, someone who is with you, laughing and joyful, spending time with you one day, and then the next day, they're gone. When we feel the sting of death, our great enemy, and we wonder, why, Lord? Why? Why, Jackie? Why now? Why in this way? And even as we wonder, we weep. Well, friends, the Lord Jesus cares for our weeping. Those of you who are here weeping tonight, the Lord Jesus cares for your weeping. And even in our weeping, By his word, he comforts us. This evening, we're looking at this incident in John's gospel where we see a death that brought great sorrow, a sudden and unexpected death. And we see how the Lord Jesus is at work even in the darkest circumstances for his glory and for our good. So we're going to look through this passage here in three scenes. It comes to us in really three scenes as we look at the text. And scene one we will call the sting of death. The sting of death. Verse one. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. 
So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. Jesus was close to this family. He had a significant relationship with them. Of course, he was close enough to them, like you'll see later, that this Mary is the same Mary who loved Jesus so much. She anointed him with ointment. She wiped his feet with her hair. This was a family that was very intimately known to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus was a little bit of a journey away from them. He hears that Lazarus is ill. And then strangely and unexpectedly, instead of going down to him, Jesus remains where he's at for two days longer. There's no question about his love for Lazarus, his love for this couple. Uh, If you read the text there, it says it very explicitly in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved them. Just like he loves us. And these people had special VIP access to Jesus. They didn't, weren't just some person he saw on the road, you know, when he was passing through. These were people that were known to him. This Lazarus was his friend. His close and personal friend. And yet Jesus waits. And then eventually as we read the story, you'll see, verse 14, Lazarus died. And yet in the midst of this darkness of death, we see that Jesus is at work, that the Lord is at work. First, he's at work for his own glory. Verse 4, Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And here, uh, my friends, is a clear statement of who This Jesus is. He says it's for the glory of God. And then in the same breath he says, so that the Son of God may be glorified. So that he may be glorified. That this incident is going to work out for Jesus' own glory. This trial, this great difficulty, even in this time of great and deep sorrow, where Jesus himself, the Son of God, weeps, we'll see in the text. In the midst of this, God is working for his glory. In some mysterious way that is not entirely understood, even in the greatest sorrow, even in the greatest pain, God works to glorify His name. And it's not different in this sorrow and loss which we are facing here, friends. It's not different with Jackie's death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And sometimes that can be a hard pill to swallow. Why does God want to be glorified in my pain? But He's not only working for His glory. He's also working for our good. 
We see that as we continue. So in verse 7, now Jesus has waited two days longer in this place. And then he says to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? So Jesus is now going at risk to his own life. All right, There was a threat to kill him in this place. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Pay attention to this. So that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. So Thomas is fully expecting that Jesus and the disciples are going to go to this place and they're all probably going to be put to death by the opponents of Jesus. But I want you to notice what Jesus has said there. Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Friends, even in our darkest hour, even in the greatest loss, Jesus is working to produce in us that which is for our greatest good, which is faith in Him. He is our only hope. The purpose of John's gospel is this, that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and by believing might have eternal life. And here Jesus is saying that this incident is going to work out, the death of Lazarus is going to work out for their good, for their faith. The Lord uses the greatest trials in this life. Even the trial of death and the loss of those dearest to us to grow our trust in Him and His promises. We read uh, Psalm 23 and we say, The Lord is our shepherd. We say, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life and shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We often miss that sometimes the Lord takes us through the valley of the shadow of death to bring us to the place of comfort. That's scene one. From there we move to scene two in the passage, which I'm calling the resurrection and the life. We see the sting of death. We see the resurrection and the life. So verse 17, Jesus arrives in this place. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Sometimes God's timing seems unexpected and strange to us. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can feel her pain in that statement. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And you see here, you know, everyone grieves in different ways. 
You see the difference in the response even between Martha and Mary. Martha goes out to meet Jesus. She's very vocal about her grief and her pain. She expresses it out loud. Mary is remain, remaining in her house. She's seated at home. She's probably overwhelmed with sorrow and, and can't even muster up the strength to come out. This is a wounded, hurting family like many of you feel tonight. Many of us feel here. And Martha expresses her anguish to Jesus. She ex is expressing her faith, but it's faith mixed with confusion, faith mixed with sorrow. Saying, Lord, I, I, I believe, even now, whatever you ask from God, God will give you, but why won't you hear? Martha is asking, why? She's being real. She's trusting in Jesus, even while being honest with her struggle. And sometimes, dear friends, uh, even among us evangelical Christians, we don't feel the freedom to be honest with our pain. Jesus gives us that freedom. He gives us the freedom to ask, why, Lord? He gives us the freedom to ask, how long, O oh Lord? Why this pain? Why like this? Why now? Jesus says to her, verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha knows her Bible well. She's read the Old Testament. She trusts in God's promises that she sees in the Scripture. She gives Jesus a nice theological answer there. She says, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That's the correct theological answer that is expected. But look at how Jesus responds. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha had the right theological understanding. She was holding on to the right theological truths. Jesus points her to himself. Brothers and sisters, when we trust in the promises of God, when we trust in God's word concerning the hope that we have of the resurrection from the dead, we don't just trust in abstract theological truths that we read from some textbook somewhere. No, we're trusting in a living person. We're trusting in Jesus, the Son of God, who is the truth, and He is the life. He is, He tells Martha, He is the resurrection and the life. And really, this is a culmination in a series of these statements. Jesus has said from the beginning, I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the fountain of living waters. And here he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And did you notice what he says with that? He says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now that feels like a complex statement. What is he doing there? When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, the second part of what he says explains what he means. So the first line there explains what it means that he is the resurrection. 
And the second line explains what it means that he is the life. So when he says, I am the resurrection, the explanation for that is, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus is the resurrection. Those of us who trust him, we may die, but we will experience a resurrection. Though Jackie has died, because she has trusted, because she trusted in Jesus who is the resurrection, yet she shall live. And then the second part of his statement explains what it means that he is the life. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And the first one is easier to accept and understand. Yes, whoever believes in Jesus, we die, but yet we'll live. The second part says something that's more puzzling. Doesn't it seem puzzling? Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And that's the explanation for what it means that Jesus is the life. So why is he saying here that everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die? How can that be? I take it for granted that unless the Lord returns suddenly and unexpectedly, in, everyone in this room will one day die. That's a certainty. And of course, many of us believe, believe in Jesus. So why does it say, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die? Jackie believed in Jesus. Jackie has died. What I think Jesus is talking about here is the fact that from him comes spiritual life. He is talking about the fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, we all come into this world as sinners. We are those who have sinned against God Almighty. The Bible repeatedly reminds us that the wages of sin is death. Uh, the Bible tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That we are, in some measure, when we come into this world and as we are, the living dead, those who are walking but are dead in our trespasses and sins, hostile from God, enemies to God by nature, all of us, and destined for eternal death, destined for judgment and eternal punishment for our sins, for our rebellion against God. But Jesus is the life. And when we come to Him, those of us who trust in Him have received spiritual life. That Jesus went to the cross, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, perfect in every way, took upon Himself the penalty of sin, died under the wrath of God, so that whoever repents of sin and believes in Him will have eternal life. And He calls us from death to life, from spiritual death to spiritual life, from darkness to life, light, and promises us eternal life by His power. He gives new life to our dead hearts, a new life that we experience even now. And we shall never taste 
spiritual death, nor the eternal punishment of hell because of what he's done. The one who is life tasted death so that we who are dead and deserve death might have life. And did you see what Jesus asks Martha? He asks her, do you believe this? And friends, that's a question that the Gospel of John places on all our hearts this evening. Do you believe this? That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though we die, yet shall we live. And whoever lives and believes in him shall never die. You know, you may be here this evening and you knew Jackie personally uh, as a friend. And you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're a family member of hers watching online or here with us. A co-worker of hers. And you've never known Jesus and have never tasted the life that he gives. Well, we want you to know, and Jackie would want you to know this, that apart from Jesus, you are dead in your sins. And that he is the resurrection and the life. And you can have this spiritual life today by repenting of your sin and trusting in the one who is the only one who can save us from our sins. You can have the promise of the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. The eternal life that Jackie is experiencing right now. The promise of resurrection that Jackie will experience on the last day. And all who trust in Christ will experience. If you turn from your sin and trust in Him today. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And with that question, there is a call and an invitation to you, dear friend, to believe in the one who can give you life. Even in the darkness, brothers and sisters, even in the darkness, we recognize this, that Jesus is our life, that he has the power of life, and he is the one who grants us spiritual life. And Martha says, yes, Lord. She doesn't fully understand what she's saying. Like I said, her faith is mixed with confusion. She kind of gives another theological answer. She's holding on to some truth. Verse 27, she says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Does she understand the full implications of what she's saying? I don't think so. And sometimes we don't fully understand, but we believe. Well, Martha will understand, and we will understand as the story goes on. Scene 2 continues. We see Martha first, and then we see now the contrast. We see Mary. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, and again you hear her grief, just like Martha's grief, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's weeping at his feet. Lord, why? Friends, the Lord gives us that freedom to bring our weeping to him, to ask him why, to cry out to him. 
When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? It's very significant here. We see probably some of the clearest descriptions of the emotional life of our Lord in the Gospels. And we see John describe Jesus here. He says, Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit. I don't think that's necessarily the best translation of that phrase. No, that, that phrase there, the word deeply moved in, in the original Greek text, it actually speaks of a kind of anger and indignation, a, a kind of frustration and in, in, in enragement that Jesus is enraged in this moment. He, he is feeling this kind of rage within. And at the same time, it says that he is greatly troubled this, this term for being greatly troubled is, is, is kind of an overwhelming emotion of grief and sorrow. And you're wondering why is he feeling this great enraged anger and at the same time this overwhelming sorrow and grief. And isn't that how we all feel when we face this enemy called death? Jesus here as the Lord who is life, the author of life, is staring death in the face And he's angry. He's angry at the sorrow that death brings. He's deeply grieved, just as we are grieved, over the death of someone he loves. And Jesus weeps in an overflow of his emotion. Dear friends, Jesus is fully human, just like us. He is fully God, who took on human flesh, lived perfectly without sin, and that way he is different from us. But he experiences all the sorrow and pain that we experience. That's why the author of Hebrews tells us Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. He feels our pain. He understands our anger, our grief, our sorrow. And his heart overflows with compassion as he sees these people weeping, as he sees his dear friend Mary weeping as he feels the loss of his dear beloved friend Lazarus, Jesus weeps. He weeps with us in our weeping. And again you see this paradox. On the one hand, see how much he loved him. But on the other hand, why did he let him die? That's how we feel, isn't it? We we say... Jesus loves us, we begin, we know that Jesus loves us, but when hard things happen, we don't understand. Well, Jesus is going to cause us to understand. You see, in the next chapter, John chapter 12, this same phrase is used again where it says that he was greatly troubled. And it's used when Jesus is speaking of his own death that he's going to undergo. He was greatly troubled 
he's greatly troubled here because he knows what it's going to cost for him to undo death, for him to defeat death. It's going to cost his own life, given up in death. And then we move to scene three. And here we see the glory of Christ. And here, Christ addresses us in our sorrow and surprises us with hope. The glory of Christ, scene three. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, there's that word again, he's still enraged, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And this is an amazing scene when you think about it. Think of the drama of this scene. All of these people weeping. Jesus has been weeping with them. Jesus is overcome with this, these emotions of anger and grief and sorrow. He walks up to the tomb. They're going with him. Half of them are saying, oh, see how much he loved the guy. The other are saying, why didn't he you know, stop him from dying? What is going on? And then he comes to the tomb and he says, take away the stone. And even Martha you know, with all of her theological nuggets, is now shocked. Martha, the sister of the dead man, if we were in any doubt, the Gospel of John leaves us here with no doubt, she is the sister of a man who is dead. He really is dead. The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days in the Palestinian heat. And you think about the drama and, and just this situation. It's an amazing scene. It's one thing to say, I am the resurrection and the life. It's another thing to say, take away the stone. And Jesus says to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice and says three words, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Death could not hold him because the Lord of life had spoken. And this is an amazing climax of all that we see in the gospel of John of who Jesus is. We are seeing here him say that he is the resurrection and the life. And he shows right there in, in, in the presence of many witnesses that his word is true. That he has the power over life and death. And this foreshadows what is coming. You see, John keeps saying that all these miracles that Jesus does are signs. Signs revealing something about himself. This is a sign of a greater resurrection that is coming in the gospel. Because as you keep reading on, the one who is enraged at death the one who is deeply troubled by de death goes to the cross and dies as the perfect sacrifice for sinners and then rises again, defeating death with a resurrection that no one will put an end to. 
You see, Lazarus did die again. This was a temporary resurrection. All right? He's the only man probably in the world who had two funerals. Not Jesus. Lazarus, this resurrection was just a picture. He comes out bound with his hands and feet and his face wrapped with the cloth and they have to unravel all of it. When, they, when Jesus rose from the dead, they go into the tomb and they find the grave clothes all folded up. Lazarus came out hearing the voice of Jesus. Jesus walked out alive. It doesn't just point to Jesus' resurrection. No, this is also a sign of the resurrection that Jesus brings into our lives. The fact that we are all spiritually dead. And every one of us was dead in our trespasses and sins. Every one of us here who is here today who trusts in Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Once Jackie was dead in sin. And Jesus said, let there be life. And brought us from death to life by his power. That he brings us from spiritual death to eternal life. Just like he called Lazarus out of the tomb. But there's still greater hope in this. Not only does this point forward to the fact that Jesus would rise from the dead and defeat death. Not only does this point forward to the fact that Jesus gives new life to sinners who are dead in their sins. But this points forward to the fact that one day every single one of us will hear the same voice sound out that was heard at the tomb of Lazarus and he will call us by name and we will rise bodily to be with him in his heavenly kingdom forever. One day he will say, Jacqueline, come out. And he will say, Renel, come forth. Myla, come out. Jefferson, come out. And Adam, come out. And those of us who have trusted him will experience a resurrection, never to die again, will be glorified with new life forever. And this is his promise, that death will surely die. And we who have trusted in Jesus will surely live. And dear friends, even in our greatest sorrow, even in our greatest loss, even in our greatest pain, we know this, that it will be for the glory of God. And one day, we will be glorified with Him. Scripture reminds us to comfort one another with these words, to point one another to the Christ who is the resurrection and the life, and to remind one another that one day, For all of us who have trusted him, we will hear his voice and we will be reunited with those whom we love with no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, and no more death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Savior who is the resurrection and the life that when we Believe in Him. Though we die, yet we shall live. And all of us who live and believe in Him shall never die. Thank you that this was true of Jackie. I pray that those who are here who do not know 
the resurrection power and the life that is in Christ would come to know it tonight through this testimony. And I pray that we would all be comforted by these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.